let's get going. John chapter 15. Perhaps you could turn to that. Pastor Ephraim preaches for an hour and a half. That's right, is it? That's what I was told. It's okay. I didn't tell you a great secret about myself, which I will share. You're not allowed to tell anybody, which is um, my grandparents. I've never lived in London before I came here. My grandparents, they were born in, um, well, very close to where I live now, in the east end of London. And um, they lived there for quite a few years. And then they moved south of the river. They came to Bermondsey. And they lived in Jamaica Street in Bermondsey. And um, I don't say that to people north of the river. But now I'm here south of the river, I can admit it. My grandparents lived in Bermondsey. There you go, south of the river. And then they moved out of London. I'll tell you a bit more about that later um, as we look at this passage together. So we're in John chapter 15. And we're reading from verse 26. And as you know, if you've been here for this series, um, John's gospel is very dense. It's quite sometimes feels like quite hard work, doesn't it, if we're honest? You know, it's not kind of a breeze in the park, some of these passages. And so if you've got a Bible and you have it open, that would be a great help. Um, not only will be able to kind of catch up if you get a bit lost, um, but also you'll be able to check that what I'm saying is what actually God is saying, which, of course, is right at the heart of what we're doing. Um, I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to read this passage together. Father God, we praise you for your word. And we praise you for the Lord Jesus who is revealed in it. And we praise you, Heavenly Father, for the Spirit, the Spirit who inspired the Word, the Spirit who has preserved the Word all these years, the Spirit who has equipped um, very clever men and women to translate it so we've got it in a language we can understand, and your Spirit who is with us now. And as we learn about him, we pray, Heavenly Father, that he will be at work. We pray, Heavenly Father, that he will be honouring and glorifying Jesus amongst us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that he will grant us understanding. We pray, Heavenly Father, that he will help these lessons we see not just go into our heads, but we want them in our hearts. We want to believe them. We want to, we want to know them deeply. We want to stand on them. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray for your help. We confess that we are totally dependent upon you. This book is dead to us without you, without your spirit to bring it to life. But we thank you that with his help, this is the word of life. Thank you that with his help, the, the, the word of God is, is living and active. It's like a two-edged sword. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that might be what we sense this morning, that your spirit might be here. We pray that he will be revealing Christ Jesus to us, Jesus who takes us to you, Heavenly Father. And we pray that he will bring your word alive to us, to everyone here, to our kids, to our friends, to perhaps those who can't be here, perhaps they're ill or perhaps they're away for whatever reason. Bring your word to us, we pray, for Jesus' glory. Amen. So 1526. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I had told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Glory to Jesus. How would you describe someone who's a Christian? How does the Bible describe someone who's a Christian? Let's have some ideas. It's a bit interactive this morning, just his first bit anyway. How would you describe someone who's a Christian? I'll get you going. What is a Bible phrase to describe someone who's a Christian? Someone who is a Christian is someone who is born again. John chapter 3, that's right, isn't it? Someone who is a Christian is born again, born from above. That would be a different way of describing it. How, How else might you describe a Christian? Come on, shout it out. How else might you describe a Christian? A believer. Someone who believes something. Yeah, great. How else? A follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, a follower. Yeah, great. How else? Come on, there are hundreds. Someone who loves, someone who loves God, someone who loves neighbors. Yeah, great. How else? A follower of the way. Great. There's a, there's a path to take. Yeah. A religious person. Yeah, certainly in James, a Christian is described as someone who follows a true religion. We tend to think of religious people as being kind of negative, and that's true if your religion is just kind of works and, and acts. But actually, there is a true religion, and a believer is truly religious. Yeah, how else? So someone who follows God's rules in some way, yeah. Someone who follows and obeys God. Someone who listens to God, yeah. How else? Someone who is set apart. Someone who is sanctified. That's the Bible word for that, set apart, yeah. Someone who prays. Anything else? Someone who is Christ-like. Yes, of course. Someone with faith. Faith in Jesus. Someone who is in Christ. We could go on and on and on. But what I want to show you is this section of John's Gospel uses a particular way to describe a Christian, which is key to our passage, and in fact to the whole of John's Gospel. It is someone who keeps going. Now, all those other things are right. Born again, follower of the way, disciple, someone who loves, someone who prays. All those things are right. But here in John's gospel, a Christian is this, someone who keeps going. Just look back at chapter 15 with me. This is really important. Look back at chapter 15, verse 1. Can you see that? I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And here's the command, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. It's down there again in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. What is a a believer in this section of John? How is a, a follower of the Lord Jesus described? How is a disciple described? Someone who keeps going. Someone who abides. Someone who stays the course. Someone who doesn't give up. Someone who perseveres. All the same kind of language. 
Now, because of what Jesus says, this is kind of elevated to a very serious level. Because if we don't abide in him, verse 6, chapter 15, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Cut off. Burned. Thrown into the fire. It's not very politically correct language, is it? It's not the kind of language that people really want to hear. It's not the kind of language that we feel very comfortable with. It's not politically correct, but it is spiritually correct. This is the reality. These words come from the Son of God, Jesus himself. If we do not abide, well, the consequences are worse than imaginable. Hardly can be described. So the issue for us this morning is keeping going. The issue for us this morning is staying a Christian. The issue for us is abiding in Jesus. Not falling away. That would be a different way of putting it, wouldn't it? And it's why this whole section of John is included for us. It's why Jesus spoke these words. Beginning back at chapter 13, where he washes his disciples' feet, and going through to the end of chapter 17, this is Jesus' words to his followers the night before he died. And even in our passage, chapter 16, verse 1, he tells us why he's saying these things. 16.1, do you see that? I have said all these things. Why? To keep you from falling away. To keep you going. So So you keep abiding. So that you don't give up. Now, what I want you to see is that is a really big deal. And it's a really big deal for these disciples. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus himself is going. You see, they'd spent three years, maybe three and a half years with Jesus. They'd been around Jesus. They kind of basked in his his glory. They'd seen the things he'd done. And staying with Jesus when Jesus is there, well, for some people that had been hard, but the disciples had managed it. Jesus was there physically. He was with them. But now he says, I'm going. Keep going with me. Do you see the tension? That when Jesus is there, physically present, then maybe keeping going is just about okay. But now Jesus says, I'm off. That's how it sounds to them. I'm going. I'm leaving you. How on earth are they going to keep going? You know, it's a bit like um, a marriage. I've been married 25 years this year. And um, as I think back to our marriage, you know, we've, we've had sometimes to work very hard at keeping going. And the way actually you keep going is by being together. I was, I was reading in the um, uh, news this week about um, Nicole Kidman, Hollywood actress, and her husband, Keith Urban, who's an Australian musician. And they've not been married that long. You know she was very famously married to Tom Cruise and it all kind of fell apart. And they've only been married a few years. And they decided at the beginning of their marriage that the way they would keep their marriage together, the way they would keep their marriage going, was by always being together most of the time. You know, these Hollywood marriages, they never seem to last, do they? And, you know, actresses are kind of all around the world. She's all around the world, you know, filming movies and and that kind of stuff. And he's all around the world doing concerts. How are they going to keep their marriage together? So they decided right at the beginning of their marriage, they would never spend more than a week apart. That was the rule they set themselves. Whatever we're doing around the world, never more than a week apart. And she's turned down roles and he's turned down concerts just so they can keep their rule. And do you know what they discovered? After a couple of years of being married, it was too long. It didn't work. They felt themselves pulling apart. He had a very well-publicized drug problem, and they were kind of pulling apart. So they set themselves a new rule. They said, never more than five days apart. That's our new rule. And do you know what happened after a year? 
They felt themselves coming apart. Because even those five days was too much for them. So they've now got a new rule. No more than two days apart. They're still together, and I'm very thankful to God for that. Marriage is a good thing, isn't it? They're still together. But the way that they've done that, the way they've planned it, is they've said never more than two days apart. If we're apart from one another, how on earth can we keep going? Do you see the point? Jesus is going... Jesus is leaving his disciples, and yet he says, keep going. How are they going to keep going? How are they going to face up to this fact that Jesus is saying, I'm off, and by the way, keep going? How are they going to do it? Well, the glorious answer is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just look back at 14, verse 16. I guess you um, looked at this. When did you look at chapter 14? Before Christmas, maybe? Just after Christmas? So Maybe it's not that fresh. But look at what Jesus says to them in chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you, what? Another helper. Perhaps in your Bible translation, it might say advocate. Sometimes people use the, kind of the, the, the Greek word itself, paraclete. But that's a great translation, another helper. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You see what, see what Jesus is saying? How are you going to keep going? I'm, I'm not going to be here. How are you going to keep going? Or to make it more personal, how are we going to keep going as Christians? Because Jesus himself, the first helper, sends another helper, the Holy Spirit. Who is the first helper? The first helper is Jesus. Who is another helper? Who is the second helper? It is the Spirit. Who? What do we read? dwells in you he will be with you he will be in you that's the end of the sermon then it's easy isn't it (laughs) nothing to it how do you stay a christian well we've got the spirit he lives in us isn't that great news it is great news by the way you know that don't you it is great news and then that's the job done and whoever's in charge of coffee put the kettle on we're ready go and get the kids they'll be a bit surprised a bit of shopping what you know, 18 to 30s, you're meeting over at the office. We're done, aren't we? We're done. Well, the answer is we're not done, and I'll tell you why. How did the world react to Jesus when he was in the world? How did the world react to Jesus when he was physically present in the world? Did the world love him? No. The world hated him. How is the world going to react to people in whom the second helper lives. The world hated Jesus, the first helper. They didn't like what he said. They, they liked some of the things he did, but they didn't like the kind of implications of it all. How did they react to him? The world hated him. How is the world going to react to people in whom the second helper lives? Same. Exactly the same. 15 verse 18. Just to set us up for our passage. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see the great tension 
really the tension of Christianity, but the tension of this passage, tension especially of our small section. How do you keep going as a Christian? How do you keep going? How do you keep abiding in Christ? You do it with the help of the second helper, another helper, the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the Holy Spirit who keeps us going. But as he brings the presence of Jesus to us and therefore to the world, guess what happens? What does the world think about that? How does the world react to that in opposition? Because ultimately, just as the world hated Jesus, the world will hate those in whom Jesus lives. Now, to you, maybe that doesn't seem the case right now. Maybe that seems a million miles away from your experience. I I told you a bit earlier about this Baptist church that I was a pastor of. It was founded in 1825. So what's that? It's getting on for 200 years ago, wasn't it? And we still had all the old record books. And one day, on a very dull afternoon when it was raining, I thought I'd get out all these old record books and have a look and see what happened right at the beginning of the church's life. And I found this old leather-bound book. It's a bit bigger than this, kind of dusty, blew the dust off it, opened it up, and there were the minutes of the first church meeting. Now, these minutes were even more exciting than your announcements this morning. Okay? <laughs> the minutes of the first church meeting. Do you know what they described? They described Mr. Jones. I can't remember his name. Let's say it was Mr. Jones. The very first paragraph, Mr. Jones came to church on the day that he was open on the day, the first day the church was open, and people lined the streets and threw things at him. This is 1825, rural England. You know, everyone's nice and stuff. And, and that was the story of, of people going to this little non-conformist chapel. They'd given up on Anglicanism, and they built their own chapel. And so people used to line the roads and throw rotten fruit and vegetables at them as they went to church. Did you get that this morning? I just walked over from Lewisham Station to dodge the tomatoes. and you know, there was, There's none of that. Let's get a bit more up to date. 1825 is a long time ago. Do you know that somewhere in the Middle East this morning, somewhere in the Middle East this morning, a Christian was killed by a member of their family because they're a Christian? That's statistical. That's kind of, you know, I don't know the person's name. But that's the, that's the actual reality of being a Christian, let's say, in the Middle East. In fact, probably not just one person, probably dozens of people. Did you face that this morning? I doubt it. Did someone spit at you because you were on your way to church? Probably not. Did someone refuse to let you on the bus or train because you were on your way to church? No, probably not. Did someone call out to you across the street? Did someone drag their children onto the other side? Stay away from him. Did someone sack you this week because you're a Christian? Probably not. But I'll tell you what, some of these things are coming. You know, it's harder to be a Christian in this country than it used to be. At the the moment, I think a lot of what Christians face, and certainly in the past maybe 10, 15 years, has been indifference. You know, you go, um, um, I was just chatting to someone just in that five-minute break, and we were talking about, you know, going out on Lewisham in a marketplace and trying to share the gospel with people. And, and, and when we do that in Mile End, and very often the kind of reaction that we used to get was just indifference. People blank you. I don't want to know. That's going to change. People are going to become more and more opposed. So perhaps it's not a physical reality just yet. But friends, it is a spiritual reality. It is a spiritual reality. The world hates Christians because ultimately, if people are honest with themselves, they hate Jesus. They don't like his message. They don't like what he has to say. It's, it's remarkable, really, because on the whole, Christians are nice people. <laughs> we do good, don't we? We are with a food bank. You know, we, we're good family members. 
We're good children. We're good parents. We should be anyway. We're, we're helpful in the community. We're good workers. We're hardworking. We're trustworthy, or we ought to be. We're honest. We're law keepers, not law breakers. How come then that Christians are so put down? How come that Christians are so scorned? How come in some places Christians are so physically opposed? Here's the answer, because we have the helper. And he brings the presence of Jesus to us. And just as the world hated Jesus, the world hates those in whom Jesus lives. So this is the tension of the passage. That on the one hand, the very way we keep going is with the presence of the Holy Spirit, the the, the second helper. But he is also the one who will bring to us the opposition that Jesus faced. You ready for that? You know, you want to keep going? Well, you've got to be prepared. That's why this passage is so important, in fact. That's why the ministry of the Spirit is so important. That's why we need to know who the Spirit is and what he does. And that's where the passage helps us. So let's get into the text. Three things I want to show you about the ministry of the Spirit. And the first thing to show you is that the ministry of the Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus. If you're taking notes, this is 1526 through to 16, verse 4. Let me read that bit again. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The ministry of the Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus. And he is supremely qualified to do that. This, if you like, is um, verse 26, 27. It's like his little CV. You know, occasionally um, I have to interview people at work and um, we put out an advert and we get sent lots of um, CVs. And I've, I've had a run of people actually from this church who have come and worked with me. So thank you very much. And um, I've had, we've had Crystal and Selena. So it's been pretty good so far. So just keep them coming. That's great. And, you know, when the CV comes in, you look at the CV and you look, let's see at their qualifications. Let's see kind of what experience they've got. Let's see if they sort of match what you want from the job. You've, you've sent CVs off, haven't you? You know how it works. But do you know what happens? There is always someone who applies for a job who is supremely unqualified to do it. Who just kind of is doing it on spec. You know, maybe I'll have a go. Who knows? Maybe you've applied for a job like that. You know, someone who applies for a job, and when you read the CV, you think, really? I was um, just a part, uh, trying to appoint a PA um, just before Christmas, and someone sent me a CV. I'm not kidding you, this guy had two doctorates. He'd, had, he'd done a PhD and then he'd done another doctorate. And he spent nearly all his working life kind of in academic institutions teaching. And he was applying to do my admin. I couldn't quite get my head around it. He was, I thought, why is this guy writing in? Didn't quite understand it. Well, here is the Spirit's CV and he is supremely qualified to bear witness about Christ. I'll tell you why. Look at where he comes from. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. He doesn't just, by the way, come from where the Father lives. He comes from the Father himself. 
That's what makes him supremely qualified. Do you see that? He comes from the Father. He proceeds from the Father in the same verse. You know, if I'd, if I'd told you when I came in, if you, if you said to me, well, you know, where did you grow up? And I said to you, um, I grew up in South End, which is where I grew up. Spent all my young years and teenage years in South End. If, if I told you that, that will tell you something about me. It would tell you that I came from Essex. And that would probably be about it. <laughs> you might have kind of a preconception about what that meant, but you, all you would know is I came from Essex. But if I said to you, look, here's my mum and dad. You meet them. You get to know them. Find out a little bit more about them. Find out what makes them tick. Then you would know a bit more about me. Then you'd know a bit more about my upbringing. Then you'd know a bit more about my hang-ups and the chips on my shoulder and my education, all that kind of stuff. If you really knew them, if you saw that I came from them, not just from the place where they lived, but from them. Well, who is the Spirit? Look at where he comes from. He comes from the Father. He proceeds from the Father. And in John's Gospel, of course, the Father is himself a witness to Christ. John 5.37 The father who sent me, says Jesus, has himself borne witness about me. And just as the father bears witness to Christ, so the one who comes from the father bears witness to Christ. Look at where he comes from. Look at who sent him. But when the helper comes, whom I will send. Do you see that in text? Who sends the spirit? He comes from the father. But who sends him? Jesus sends him. The first helper sends the second helper. He proceeds from the father. He is sent by the son. That the son, if you like, in glory, if I can put it this way without being irreverent, the son says to the spirit, look, spirit, go from our father. Go to earth and carry on the work that I've begun. Bear witness about me. This isn't kind of two degrees of separation, three degrees of separation. Oh, I heard about someone who heard about someone who heard about someone. Let me tell you about them. You know the kind of thing. This is the Spirit who is sent by the Son to bear witness about the Son. And look at what he's called. He's called the Spirit of Truth. Even his name, even his name includes captures the essence of what he's to do. His ministry is to bear witness about Christ. His ministry is to bear witness about the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, back in chapter 14. I am the truth. And now, who comes as a second helper? The spirit of truth. He is a superbly qualified messenger. It's great, really. It's, it's beyond... Thankfulness is beyond praise. If you just think about it for a moment, um, do, do you get suspicious about people who knock on your door? Do you ever get that? You know, people come and knock on the door, and uh, these days it always seems they're selling something. What I do is I normally send my 11-year-old daughter. It kind of disarms them, <laughs> and they just kind of go away. But, you know, there's normally someone there who's selling something, or they want your bank account details. Or, or occasionally, perhaps, it's a Jehovah's Witness coming and knocking on the door around us, lots of Jehovah's Witnesses. And you get very suspicious about people like that. You get very suspicious about people out in the, in the street, maybe. We were doing some Christmas um, carol singing as kind of part of our Christmas evangelism. And it, we went out on this miserable night. It was pouring with rain. And so what we thought we'd do is we'd go and sing under a bridge. There's a massive bridge in Mile End. We thought we'd go and sing under the bridge so we would be dry. And right outside Costa, people would be coming past, going into Costa, getting their coffees and coming out. So we were singing. I thought our singing was quite nice. I wasn't quite up to the singing this morning from 
you know, the team at the front. But it was quite nice, our singing. And I was standing there at the front. I had my invitations. I had my little kind of pack of tracks. And I was doing a little bit of open air preaching and talking to people. Except I wasn't talking to people. Do you know what happened? Pretty much everybody walked straight past. Kind of blanked me. Not interested. They weren't very interested in me as a messenger at all. And yet, if someone comes and knocks on your door and they announce where they're from, and they announce who they are, and they announce who sent them, and those three things have got authority, you're going to listen to them. So here's a knock on the door, okay? And you go to the door. Hello, I'm Sergeant Jones. I'm from the Metropolitan Police Stolen Car Squad. You're going to listen to that guy, because you're going to want to know what's happened to your car. Who's got it? Where's it gone? Who's pitched it? Where is it? Is it okay? He tells you where he's from. He tells you who he is. He tells you who sent him, perhaps, and suddenly his message takes on kind of credibility and an extra warmth and and importance, and it's the same with the Spirit. Look at who sent him. Look at where he's from. Look at his name. Listen to him. He is the one who bears witness to Christ. And and how does he do that? How How did Jesus bear witness to himself when he was on the earth? He spoke. There he was. Sometimes huge crowds, sometimes just a few, but he spoke. He declared words. He bore witness about himself. His testimony about himself was true. Well, how does the Spirit come and speak? He doesn't take on human flesh like the second person of the Godhead. He doesn't take on human flesh as Jesus did. So how does he speak? How does he speak to the world? How does he bear witness to the world? The answer is he comes to his people. Do you see it? And you also, you also will bear witness. Exactly the same phrase. The Spirit bears witness. The Father has borne witness in John's Gospel. The Spirit bears witness. And you also will bear witness when the Helper comes to you. What is the ministry of the Spirit? It is to bear witness through us about Christ. Now, first and foremost, this is for the disciples to hear. They're the ones who bear witness about Christ. They're the ones who have been with Jesus from the beginning. Verse 27, I haven't been with Jesus from the beginning and neither of you. But they did. And they recorded what the Spirit inspired them to say. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But it works the same way even today. As we proclaim God's word to others, we're bearing witness to Christ. Or rather, the Spirit is bearing witness to Christ through us. That's the ministry of the Spirit. Isn't that great? So when you're out in Lewisham and you're kind of in the marketplace, you say, I'm going to witness to Christ. No, the Spirit is going to witness to Christ through you. That's the ministry of the Spirit. And suddenly the stuff you're doing on the street or when you're chatting to a friend or talking to someone in your family takes on a whole new level. Because it's not me trying to witness to someone. It's me saying, Spirit, come. Bear witness to Christ through me. And what's going to happen when you do that? I have said all these things, 16 verse 1, to keep you falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. What's going to happen when the Spirit bears witness to Christ through you? What's going to happen when the second helper comes? What's going to happen when the second helper brings the presence of Jesus to you? The world is going to hate you. But don't lose heart. I have said these things, verse 4, to you, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. It's it's, it's ironic, isn't it? When we feel opposition 
of some kind. When we, when we feel that someone is against us, when we feel that we're trying to share the gospel, when we, try, when we feel that we're trying to bear witness to Christ and, and someone kind of doesn't respond the way we'd want, we get discouraged. You know what Jesus is saying here? When they respond badly, you'd be encouraged because I told you they would. <laughs> it's a different way of thinking, isn't it? You know, what do I do? I, I, go, I went home after the carol singing. I, I confess this. I went home after the carol singing and I thought, what a miserable evening. How are people ever going to hear the gospel? People never stop. People don't seem interested. Lord, what are you doing? And it's, it's right to cry out in that way, of course. But do you know what I should have been thinking as well at the same time? This is exactly what you said, Lord. And I'm encouraged by that. You saw this coming. You told me. You told me to not lose heart. You told me so that I wouldn't fall away. This is the ministry of the Spirit. And so this is, this is really quite profound, isn't it? This is quite deep stuff. How do you know someone is filled by the Spirit? You might have all kinds of answers to that. How do you know someone is walking in step with the Spirit? How do you know that the Spirit is active in you? How do I know that the Spirit is active in me? Well, according to Jesus, because you bear witness to him. And you stand firm when opposition comes. Now, can you see that actually um, to pray for the Spirit to fill us is a pretty dangerous prayer to pray? Do you see what you're asking for when you pray for the Spirit? Do you know what you're asking for? You're asking for the Spirit to bear witness through you. That's a great thing to pray, isn't it? What else are you praying for? You're praying for opposition. You're praying for something that you know will lead to difficulty. That in some cases will lead to rejection. So I I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, this is a great prayer to pray. Lord Jesus, give me more of your spirit. That is a great prayer to pray. But don't for a minute think that's easy. Don't for a minute think that's kind of prayer as, you know, a kind of cop-out. Easy believism. You pray that prayer with me. Pray that prayer with me. Lord Jesus, give me more of your spirit. Lord Jesus, come and by your spirit bear witness through me. But you know what you're letting yourself in for when you pray that prayer. Because the ministry of the spirit is to bear witness to Jesus. Second, ministry of the spirit is to convict the world. This is, if you're taking notes, 16, 5 to 11. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment... Because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, it it might seem to you that simply bearing witness is not enough to earn the world's hatred. Certainly not in Lewisham. I I tell you what, in some places in the world it is. So in some places in the world, the person I told you about earlier who lost their life this morning because they were Christian, they lost their life because they said to their family member, I believe in Jesus. And that was the end of their life. So for some people, bearing witness to Christ is enough to bring the world's opposition. But I'm guessing for most of us, it doesn't quite feel like that yet. But the ministry of the Spirit is not simply to bear witness to Christ. The ministry of the Spirit is to convict the world. 
It is to convict the world. That's what Jesus says when he comes, verse 8, he will convict the world. It's a difficult thing, I think, for the disciples to understand, and I've got some sympathy with them, because up to now, they've not been the prime target, have they? You know, up to now, they've been spending time with Jesus, but all the world's kind of accusation and hatred has not been poured on the disciples, has it? Who's it been poured on? It's been poured on Jesus. So who have the Jews tried to stone? The disciples? No. Jesus. Who, who's been rejected by his family? The disciples? No. Jesus. Who's been kind of, um, who have they been plotting against? The rulers and the authorities. Have they been plotting against the disciples? No. They've been plotting against Jesus. And so they didn't need to know all this stuff. They didn't need to know about the Spirit. They didn't need to know about the Helper because all the opposition has been focused towards him. That's why Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, because I took the flack. But now that's going to change because he is going. Although none of them have really thought it through, have they? Verse 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? If you know um, John's gospel, you might think that's a bit odd because Simon Peter has already said to Jesus, where are you going? Chapter 13, verse 36. And Thomas, who we sometimes call Doubting Thomas, chapter 14 has said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. But all they're basically doing is reacting against sort of thinking that Jesus is going away for a short while. What he's saying now is, I'm going to the Father. You don't really understand that. You haven't really grasped what it means that I'm going. You haven't really grasped that this means that the opposition is going to shift from me to you. And now it's beginning to sink in. Sorrow has filled your heart. This is it. For them, this is the end. They've had a three and a half year roller coaster. They've seen some amazing things. They've, they've done some amazing things themselves. They've seen miracles. They've seen people raised from the dead just a couple of chapters ago. And now it's all over. He's off. Sorrow has filled their heart. And what's going to happen? How are they going to keep going? I'm going to send you the helper. And it's to your advantage that I go away, says Jesus. For if I do not go away, he will not come. Isn't that amazing? Just get your head around that. Here are the 12 disciples, okay? And there they are with Jesus, there he is, the Son of God, with them. Wouldn't you have liked to be there? Wouldn't you have kind of liked to share a meal with him? Wouldn't you have liked to hear his words? And Jesus says, it's better for you that I go. It's better for you that I'm not here because I will send the Spirit. Now, I think that's pretty difficult to understand. I, I struggled with that. As I was preparing, I thought, this is difficult to get your head around. Well, what's going on here? Is it that it's only when Jesus goes that he can, he can die and he can be lifted up and he can be glorified and he can ascend to the Father's right hand as, as the resurrected Savior? Is that what's going on? Well, maybe. But what Jesus says is the reason that it's good for you that I'm going is because the Spirit will come. You're going to be better off with the Spirit than you are with me. Just what Jesus is saying. In what sense are we better off with the Spirit than we are with Jesus himself physically present? Well, here's the answer. Here I am with you in Lewisham. And, and if Jesus was here, that would be a, you know, if he was standing there on the edge of the platform, that would be a wonderful thing. But, you know, he couldn't be in my land with my wife and my children. He can't be on two sides of the river at once. 
he, he couldn't be from wherever is home for you. He couldn't be in South End, where I grew up. He couldn't be in the Middle East. He couldn't be in Africa. He couldn't be in the West Indies. He couldn't be in the States. He couldn't be all those places if he was standing here. Great for us. Woo-hoo! But what about all the others? How are they going to keep going if Jesus is not with them? So it's better that Jesus goes and the Spirit comes because the Spirit, who does not take on human flesh, is with us all, lives in us all. And he is in Mile End this morning with my wife. <laughs> and he's here. And he's in Nigeria. And he's in East Africa. And he's in South Africa. And he's in the Middle East. He was even with that Christian who got killed this morning. He's in Asia. He's in the States. That's why it is better. Because how on earth are we going to keep going unless the Spirit comes, the Spirit who is with all of us? It is to our advantage. Because when he comes, he will bear witness to Christ, to all of us and through all of us, and he will convict the world. It's not enough, you see, just to talk about Jesus, to bear witness about Jesus. We need the ministry of the Spirit to also convict the world. And that is what he does. Did you see that? When he comes, he will convict the world, verse 8, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He'll convict the world concerning sin, verse 9, because they do not believe in me. This is sin. This is the sin. This is the biggest sin. This is the sin above all sins. This is the essence of sin. It's not believing in Christ. Which, by the way, as we bear witness about Christ, this is what we've got to get to. You know, it's tempting to get caught up with all the kind of stuff that happens on the bottom, all the ethical stuff. Well, that's key. That's important. But it is not the sin. The sin is not believing in Christ. And that's what we need the Spirit to bear witness about. That's what we need the Spirit to be convicting people about, is that they need to believe in Christ. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, verse 10, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. How is the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus about righteousness in this way? Because the resurrection and the ascension vindicates Jesus as being the perfect man. So the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead and the fact that he goes to the Father tells people that here was one who was perfectly righteous. He's the one you've got to believe in. And that's what the Spirit does. He convicts people concerning righteousness and their own lack of it as they look at the Son. He convicts concerning judgment. Verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. Chapter 12, verse 13. Now is the judgment of this world, says Jesus. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The reason the Son of God appeared is to... Do you know? To do away with all the works of the evil one. He's nailed to the cross. As Jesus is nailed to the cross, the principalities and the powers are also nailed to the cross. They're disarmed there. They're disempowered there, if that's a word. And as the, the ruler of this world is judged, so it is a sign to the world that we will all come under judgment. And that's what the Spirit convicts about. So I tell you what we need, isn't it? Is not just for the Spirit to bear witness about Christ through us, but as he does so to convict the world concerning sin that we must believe in Jesus. Concerning righteous, that we are not and that he is and that we must come to him for righteousness' sake. 
and concerning judgment that if we continue to reject him, there will be a day of accounting. And maybe, just maybe, I don't know you. I know very few of you. Maybe, just maybe, he's convicting you today. Maybe coming to church is something you do every week. Maybe, it's, I don't know, you're here for the first or second or third time. Maybe it's something you do every week and you just kind of come along and you kind of give the appearance of being on the inside. You know, you sing the songs, kind of help out with things. But, but maybe you haven't come to this point where the Spirit has convicted you yet concerning sin, coming to Jesus, believing in him, concerning righteousness, that you are not as you were made to be and you need to come to Christ who is the righteous one. Concerning judgment, that if you do not, there will be a day of reckoning. Maybe today. Maybe today. And you know what? I'm, if that was true, I would love it. That would be the ministry of the Spirit at work. But for all of us, we need to pray for this kind of ministry, don't we? And we need to recognize that as, as, as the Spirit comes and does this kind of ministry amongst us, how is the world going to react to that? How is the world going to react when we bear witness about Christ? Well, probably not well, but how is the world going to react when the Spirit comes and convicts people, gives them a deep sense of unease, disquiet, feeling that things are not right? Well, some, praise God, and I guess many of our testimonies, this is true for us, some turn to Christ, praise God. But some will not, some will reject him, and some, therefore, will reject us. The ministry of the Spirit is to bring conviction to the world. So can you see, again, it's a dangerous prayer to pray. Lord Jesus, give me more of your Spirit. It's a prayer we need. Isn't it a prayer we need? Don't we need the Spirit to be convicting the world through us as we bear witness? That's a prayer we need. And right at the end, I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. Lord Jesus, give me more of your Spirit. Do you know what we're praying for when we pray that? We're praying for the narrow path. We're praying for hard time, possibly. We're praying for rejection from family. I know what that feels like. Sometimes violence. That's what we're praying for. But that is the ministry of the Spirit. Third thing. Just to take a minute just to rest. Because this is kind of quite heavy going, isn't it? It's a dense passage. You know, you've ever been one of those places where you kind of have an all-you-eat buffet? You've been in one of those, you know, kind of five ninety nine. I don't know what that's Mile End. Lewis is right, ten ninety nine. Okay, all you all you can eat buffet, right? And um, you pay your ten ninety nine at the beginning, and uh, you want to get your money's worth, don't you? <laughs> so you eat, you keep eating, and you kind of think, oh, okay, I'm full up now. I can't eat any more. And someone says to you, we paid ten ninety nine for this. Say, so, okay, I'm just going to have a rest. I'm just going to let it settle. Give it five minutes, okay, and then I'll be ready to go again. <laughs> you know the kind of thing? This, this passage to me feels a bit like this. There's so much, just keeps coming, keeps coming. And I feel a bit like I'm at the 1099 all-you-can-eat buffet, and I'm thinking, how could I eat any more? Well, I'll encourage you. This third point is the dessert. This third point is kind of the coffee with cream. This third point is the, is, is the thing that's really sweet to taste. Because do you know why? Up to now, you might say, I don't want the ministry of the Spirit. If the ministry of the Spirit is just going to make it hard for me as I bear witness to the Christ, if the ministry of the Spirit is going to make it hard for me as he convicts the world, no thanks. Well, you need to know the third thing. The dessert course, the sweet, the best bit of all. The ministry of the Spirit is to glorify the Son. 
I still have many things to say to you, verse 12, says Jesus, but you cannot bear them now. Do you, do you, know, how they, do you know how they feel? <laughs> Got many things to say, can't bear them now. <laughs> I know how they feel. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me, says Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Is the Spirit just there to bring us trouble? No, the Spirit is there to keep us going. Yeah, trouble will come as we are counted like Christ, as we are treated like Christ. But what is the great news? In all of this, he comes to glorify the Son. I tell you what, we need this last piece of the jigsaw. This is the end game. This is the great goal of the Spirit's work. Now, if you just notice how kind of the passage works, just look down at verses 13 and 15. You'll, you'll notice, first of all, that Jesus promises the Spirit to the disciples so that they, the disciples, will continue to hear Jesus' voice. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, I think that's the disciples, into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Remember that the second helper continues the first helper's work. And what was the first helper's work? What was Jesus' work? Do you remember? Just turn back. Come on, this will just keep you on your toes. I know it's getting a bit warm. So turn back to chapter 12, 49. What was the first helper's work? 12.49, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Do you see that? What was Jesus' ministry on this earth as he ministered to people? It was to bring the Father's words. What is the second helper going to do? Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, the Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see how he's carrying on the same work? It's to take what the Father has said and to declare it. Jesus is basically saying to his disciples, here, here I am, boys, I'm about to go, but don't worry. If you're worried about not hearing my voice, don't worry. Another helper is coming. He's going to do the same thing. He's going to speak the Father's words to you. He's going to declare them to you. And the primary way that happens, of course, is the Spirit inspires the Scriptures. We, we have the New Testament here in our Bibles because verse 13 is true and verse 15 is true. And the Spirit did indeed come and declare to these disciples and they wrote it down. But it, it's still true at a second level. It's not that the Spirit continues to make truth, new truth come to us as though we were writing scripture all the time. But the Spirit still comes and makes the truth alive to us. Guess what Jesus' words brought when he was on earth? Hatred. Guess what Jesus' words bring today? The world's opposition. But also the glory of the Son. For it is the work of the Helper in declaring to us the words of the Father to bring glory to the Son. He will glorify me, verse 14. How? How will he glorify me? He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> you know, I, we often talk and I often pray. I do this myself. You know, Lord, I want to glorify you. And look, you've got it on your strap line. 
God's people for his glory. But the question is, how? That sounds great. And it's a, it's a great sentiment, by the way. I love it. But how? How do you live for his glory? How do you glorify Christ? How is Christ glorified in you? Here's the answer. It is by the work of the Spirit making the word come alive. So you believe that the word comes from the Father and you respond to it. That is what glorifies the Son. In other words, what's going on here in church this morning when someone stands up and reads the Bible and when you believe it, and you believe it to be God's word about Jesus, I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus is being glorified. That's the ministry of the Spirit in you. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. What's going on when you hear the word proclaim, when you listen to a sermon, even perhaps one that you don't like, like this, and what's going on when you believe it, when you respond to it, when you're encouraged by it, when you commit to it, what's going on? It's the ministry of the Spirit in you, glorifying the Son, God's people for his glory. What's going on when you live according to Jesus' words? What's going on when you obey his word? What's going on when you rejoice in his word? That's the ministry of the Spirit. Jesus is being glorified by his Spirit in you, God's people for his glory. What's going on when you bring the word of God to others in obedience to the Son? What's going on when you bear witness and the Spirit bears witness through you and you speak to people about Jesus? That's the ministry of the Spirit. Jesus is being glorified in you through the Son. Do you see? How we need this ministry. How we need the ministry of the Spirit. That's going to bring us trouble. If you want to live for God, if you want to be obedient to his living word, if you want Christ to be glorified in you, that's the ministry of the Spirit, and that will bring you trouble. Increasingly so. But it is the answer to how we can be God's people for his glory. We can be people of the Spirit. The Spirit glorifies Jesus in us as we come in obedience and love and faithfulness to his word. Accepting him at his word, delighting in his word, believing his word, sharing his word, spreading his word. That's the ministry of the Spirit. And so here is the prayer to pray. If you dare, if you dare, Lord Jesus, give me more of your spirit. Okay, deep breath, because we've finished. Quick summary for you. What is key? It is keeping going. It is staying a Christian. You're a Christian this morning, right? Great, praise the Lord. Will you be a Christian tomorrow? Will you be a Christian next week? What about next year? That is a ministry of the Spirit. The second helper who comes to keep you going. Because he bears witness to Christ through you. He convicts the world as you bear witness to Christ. And he glorifies the Son in you as you delight in his word. Praise God for the Spirit. But you know what will happen? If you pray with me in a moment this prayer, Lord Jesus, give me more of your Spirit. Do you know what he will send you? Quite possibly. In his sovereign goodness. In his wisdom. In his mercy. Do you know what will happen as Christ is glorified in you? How did the world respond to Jesus? How will the world respond to you? And this is the tension of the passage. That is only with the spirit that we can keep going. But the spirit who brings Christ to us will also bring us trouble from the world. And the more trouble we get from the world, guess what we need more of? The spirit to keep us going. 
And the more the Spirit keeps us going and exalts Christ in us so that we're Christ-filled people, what will happen from the world to us? Why do you think we get less persecution here than we do in places in like the Middle East? Because kind of we're just cruising along. You get more of the Spirit, more of the Spirit's filling, more of Christ glorified in you, more of the world's hatred. And so this is the prayer you constantly have to pray. Lord, give me more, more hatred. Lord, give me more, more hatred. Lord, give me more. The ministry of the Spirit is to bear witness to Christ. Don't you want that? Through you, in you. The ministry of the Spirit is to convict the world. Don't we need that as a church, as a world? Ministry of the Spirit is to glorify the Son. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is the Spirit of Jesus. He proceeds from the Father, sent by the Son. And this is the prayer we need to pray, if you dare. Lord Jesus, give me more of your Spirit. Because whatever the world throws at us, whatever it sends us, there is nothing, 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 nothing better than being filled with the Spirit, knowing the Son, coming to the Father. And that's the work that he wants to do in us. So pray with me, will you? Lord Jesus, give me more of your Spirit. Will you pray that? Say it with me. Lord Jesus... Give me more of your spirit. Lord Jesus, give me more of your spirit. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.